Samaritans that came into the world with the coming of Jesus Christ, what imagery would you employ? If you had to describe the change that came into your own soul, how would you describe it? Would you describe it as as a flower blooming for the first time, as the sun suddenly shining after a dark storm? Isaiah, with God's direction, employs the imagery of, first, the transformation of the desert. In verse 1 and 2, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. The transformation of the desert into a place where there's blooming flower and luxuriant growth. The symbolism uh, pictures for us a desert that's changed, and Israel, in a sense, when this was written, was like a desert. It had been devastated by the invading army of Assyria as Assyria moves toward uh, the capital, uh, Jerusalem. Judah sits there, uh, now beginning to appear desert-like. But the significance uh, of seeing that this land, which is now devastated, will one day change and become luxuriant again, that's really not adequate to express what's being said here. Uh, Rather, Isaiah is picturing a a much greater change than just the change that would come to this earthly spot of ground that had been devastated. It was partially fulfilled in the victory over Assyria and uh, the land being returned to Judah. But it received a much greater fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. That's the significance of the last phrase in verse 2. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Now we begin to see what he's speaking of. The glory of the Lord. When have men seen the glory of the Lord? When God became man and he was the brightness of his Father's glory and the express image of his person. John said, We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul said, We behold the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus would come, God would become man, and the desert would blossom like a rose. Change would take place in this old world and in many a human heart. Many a heart is like a desert. Every heart is like a desert before the Lord Jesus Christ comes to dwell within and change that desert into a place where the fruits of righteousness are grown, where the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness is produced. That's the real fulfillment. And the ultimate, greatest, final fulfillment of this imagery will be in the new heavens and the new earth. When this earth becomes a garden of Eden, when sickness and sin is banished forever, all of creation's waiting for that day, says Paul in Romans, standing on tiptoe, waiting when that day shall be ushered in. 
What a marvelous picture of the change that Jesus makes. Has that change taken place in your life? Are you a desert, or have you begun to blossom like the rose? You know anybody else that change took place in their life? Lots of them here. I hope you have. I hope you've seen that tremendous change where a wilderness begins to blossom. There's nothing like it. One of my laymen told me this morning how a young lady that he had led to Christ several weeks ago called him up and said, I can't tell you the difference in my life, in my family. The second thing is the confirmation of the weak. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. He's speaking here of the weak among God's people. God's people, they, they fight a fight, you know. It's a battle. It's a struggle. The Christian life isn't easy. we got enemies. The world, the flesh, the devil, they're powerful enemies. And we have trials and we get discouraged. Just like the people of Judah were discouraged as they faced this great physical enemy coming. And he says, strengthen the weak hands, the hands that are drooping, the knees that are tottering. Now, Isaiah, you and the others, strengthen those weak, mutually undergird them. How? How do we strengthen those among God's people who are fearful, who are discouraged? Say to them, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Say to them, God has promised to be with you, and God keeps his promises. Not a one of his promises will fail. Look back in the 34th chapter in the 16th verse. Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate. Meaning for every promise there will be a corresponding fulfillment on God's part. Say to his people, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He's with you. And he won't be late. When the time comes, he will be there with help. That's what happened in the case of Israel in this invading army, as we'll see in later chapters. A great coming in deliverance to wreak vengeance on his enemies and to save his own. That, too, received a greater fulfillment than just salvation of Judah from Assyria. It received fulfillment in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the manifestation of the Lord. That's the real fulfillment of this. When he came to save his own, as we read in the great commentator J.E. Alexander, the words are really a promise of deliverance to God's people and include as the most important part of their contents, the unspeakable gift of Christ and his salvation. Transformation of the desert. Confirmation of the weak. Manifestation of the Lord as he comes to save and to wreak vengeance on his enemies and the enemies of his people. Christ didn't come and immediately wreak vengeance. When he quoted the Old Testament prophecies about what he would do, he would leave off 
those that say, and the day of vengeance of our God. Because first he came to suffer. Vengeance did fall on those who rejected him in 70 A.D. after a testing period. And it will fall ultimately when he returns. When he comes back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the glory of the Lord and from the presence of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints, to save them and to wreak vengeance, to recompense, to deal in strict justice with his enemies. There's the restoration of the infirm then spoken of. It says in verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. When the Lord is manifested, when Jesus comes, then the blind shall see, the halt, the lame shall walk, the deaf shall hear, the dumb shall speak. A great change is coming into this world. The imagery pictures this restoration of the infirm as a great way of speaking of the blessing of this change. This is not so much a prediction of the physical miracles Jesus did, although he did. When the Messiah came, he did physical miracles. And he alluded back to passages like this when his Messiahship was questioned. For instance, John the Baptist, the one who was his forerunner, who would point to him and say, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. John was confused because Jesus didn't do what John thought Jesus was going to do. Jesus did not come and bring in the day of vengeance. He brought salvation. He came meek and lowly, riding on an ass, just and having salvation. So John, when he's thrown in prison and he puzzles over this, finally he sends by his disciples and asks Jesus, Art thou he who would come? Or look we for another? And Jesus sent back this word, Go show John again these things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Yes, I am he who would come. I am the Messiah. Tell John not to be offended in me. I know what I'm doing, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but there's stages to my work. First, I come to bless and to die later in vengeance. These physical miracles are really but pictures of, illustrations of, his power to do greater spiritual miracles. The deafness, the blindness, the lameness, that's a picture of what we are in our souls until Jesus comes. The infirmity of our souls. We don't walk in God's way. We don't hear God's word. We don't see the Lord. Jesus can open blind spiritual eyes. And that's what he was illustrating when he healed a physically blind man. He said, I am the light of the world. And having so said, he opened a blind man's eyes. He said, I am the bread of life. Having so said, he fed 5,000. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Having so said, he raised a dead man. Illustrations of what he can do for your soul, his power. 
Oh, John Wesley has caught the glory of this in his hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears. You fearful? Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that bids our sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avail for me. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb. Your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold, your Savior come. And leap, ye lame, for joy. That's it. That's the change that he makes. Can you sing that song? Is that well up in your heart? Can you say, John, I know what you're writing about. Amen. I can leap like that man who was healed of his lameness because God's healed me spiritually. I can see. I can hear. He gives a reason why these results will take place. It says uh, that this restoration of the infirm will occur. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. There'll be a well gushing up. It's that well of salvation that Jesus came to provide by his death for us. It's that Holy Spirit that he gives when we put our trust in him that is within a well of everlasting water and everlasting life so that they that drink at that well never thirst again, really. It says, And the parched ground shall become a pool. If you have a revised version, in the margin it says, The mirage shall become a pool. Francis DeLeach in his commentary says, Mirage is the correct translation. The mirage shall become a pool. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a little pamphlet out. The mirage shall become a pool. And he says, what Isaiah is picturing for us is that life's like a journey through a desert and you, you become parched and dry. And then as you're so thirsty, up ahead you see a shimmering pool of water and you rush toward it, only to find when you got there that it vanished. It was a mirage. And then you see another one up ahead and you rush toward it. But again, it turned out to be a mirage. Life's like that. People seeking things. What are you seeking? Security, satisfaction, joy, happiness. That's what everyone's seeking. The world offers it to you, and God offers it to you. But the world is so present, you see, when you get up in the morning and you cut on the television. The world offers you these things. If you'll only take this trip, if you'll only try this new thing, You'll find joy and peace and happiness. Men seek it in everything under the sun. They seek it in marriage. They seek it in their family. They seek it in wealth. The world offers it. But then when they rush and they've got it, somehow it vanishes and it doesn't satisfy. And it didn't do for them what they thought it would. Why are there so many divorces? Isn't it that he thought this one would give what he wanted? He tried to make that marriage his lasting satisfaction, but it couldn't do it. Maybe another girl, maybe another wife, maybe another job. And on and on, people rush. And it turns out to be unsatisfying because God made it that way. God doesn't want you to find satisfaction in this old world because God made you for himself. 
And you can only find lasting satisfaction in Him. But when you do that, the mirage becomes a pool. It satisfies. There's a hymn that says, O Christ in thee my soul hath found, and found in thee alone the peace, the joy I sought so long, the bliss till now unknown. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Not only do we have the transformation of the desert, the confirmation of the weak here, the manifestation of the Lord, the restoration of the infirm, but the description of a highway. Notice this. In verse 8, And highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. Where is this highway? There, in the desert, in this world. There's a highway runs right through the middle of it. What's this highway like? Well, it's a highway called the way of holiness. It's a holy highway. The unclean don't pass over it. You've got to be cleansed of your sins. You can be cleansed through Christ's shed blood, through his death for us. When we put our trust in him and surrender our will to him. And it's a way of seeking to keep God's commandments and of progressing in this. It's a holy way. They that have experienced this change that Jesus makes, They want to be holy. Their heart is enlarged. They run the way of God's commandments. His commandments are not grievous to them. Their desire in life is to be conformed to God's will. It's that kind of a way. And you see, a lot of folks don't want to be on that kind of a way. They're invited. Everyone's invited to get on that highway. But it's a holy, narrow, straight highway. Jesus says, straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life. Few there be that find it. Broad is the road that leads to death. Many there be that go in thereat. It's a, a holy way. Not that we earn our salvation by being holy. But once we've received Christ and the desert has begun to blossom in our soul, the fruits of holiness begin to be produced in us. Again, it's a clearly marked way. You know, in the desert, at best, you might find a faint track. And in the desert of this world, men wander around and they don't know where they're going and they don't know why they're here. Who am I? Where am I going? This is life. This is what it's like. Oh, it's been expressed in so many modern uh, ways. The meaningless of of life apart from Jesus Christ. I guess one of the most tragic is the They want about 15 million plastic bags. Adrian Mitchell's Ballard. I was walking in a government warehouse where the daylight never goes. I saw 15 million plastic bags hanging in a thousand rows. And five million bags were six feet long. And five million were five feet five. Five million were stamped with Mickey Mouse. And they came in a smaller size. Were they for guns or uniforms or a dirty kind of party game? Then I saw each bag had a number and every bag wore a name. And five million bags were six feet long, so on. 
So I've taken my bag from its hanger, and I've pulled it over my head, and I'll wait for the priest to zip it so the radiation won't spread. And five million bags are six feet long, and two million are five feet five. The meaningless of life, uh, apart from Jesus Christ, the wandering, the confusion. But this way is a clearly marked way. Those who are on it, they don't wander in confusion. It says that the wayfaring man, though fool, shall not err therein. The simplest person who really gets on that highway through faith in Jesus Christ, they're not going to err. They're not going to fall off. They're not going to lose their way. Because the meek shall he guide in judgment, and the meek shall he teach his way. And isn't it true that a little child who knows Jesus knows more about life than your great Ph.D. who doesn't? Isn't it true that the, sometimes the, the person who's even mentally retarded and so backwards that he, he can hardly write his name, he'll know Jesus. He'll know life. And he's not confused. He's headed along, and the Lord will keep him. It's a safe way. Where is safety found on that highway? Nowhere else. It says, No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there. God protects his own when they're on the highway. They're not going to be really hurt. The things that seem to hurt are but making them more holy as they walk down that highway. Where is that highway going? Where does it lead to? It has a destination. It leads to Zion. It says they come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy on their heads. They progress towards not just earthly Zion, but God's holy city, heavenly Zion. Who travels that highway? It says the redeemed shall walk there. That's those who've been set free. They've been delivered. They're redeemed. How are they redeemed? The ransomed of the Lord shall walk there. They've been ransomed. They were set free upon payment of a price by the Lord. What was the price? His blood. You're not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the blood of a lamb. A lamb without spot or blemish. Christ says, The Son of Man came into seeking to save that which was lost and to give his life a ransom for many. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. He died for my uncleanness. And if I put my trust in him, I'm redeemed, I'm set free upon payment of that price. If I'll surrender to him, if I will return, surrender my will to him, put my trust in him, then I'm on the highway and I move along. Notice the joy. It says, as they walk along, they sing with songs and everlasting joy. They wear that as a crown. Everlasting joy. What about you? Are you on that highway? You can know whether you're on the highway. Do you long to be holy? Does the thing that concerns you more than anything else, is it your sin that you're not as holy as you want to be? Are you progressing? Are you dealing with that sin? Do you trust in Christ alone? Has the desert begun to blossom as a rose? Can you see a change in your life? You can know whether you're on it. Are you confused? Are you wandering around? Are you still in the wilderness? Are you chasing after those mirages? Always seeking satisfaction in some new thing and never able to find it? If you're on the highway, what a fearless people we should be, those who are on the highway. 
What do we need to fear? Strengthen those hands. Confirm those knees. We don't need to be afraid of anything. Anything physical, anything spiritual in a sense. Satan and all of his forces. No lion's going to get at us on the highway. Fearless. The Lord is my life and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Sing that song as you go along. What a joyous people we ought to be. We know what the future holds. We know where we're going. We know what we left. We know what's happened. What a grateful people we ought to be. What a grateful people. Oh, we ought to be like the psalmist in every day. Cry out, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy soul from destruction, who crowneth thee with tender mercy and loving kindness, who satisfies thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. Oh, the gratefulness we ought to have towards God, the gratitude as we leap like a heart, as our loosened tongues employ His praises. Maybe you're not on the highway. Come on. Get on the highway. We'd use the words that Moses used to his father-in-law. Moses said to his father-in-law, he said, We are journeying under the place of which the Lord said, I will give thee this land. He said, Come with us, for we will do thee good. For the Lord hath spoken good of Israel. Come with us. Come on, get on the highway today, right now. Won't you commit your life to Christ today? Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be on that highway? It can happen. You want that desert to bloom? You want that mirage to turn into a pool? It can happen today. It's happened to hundreds. Right here. Let's bow in prayer. If you want that mirage to turn into a pool, in your heart, if you mean business about Christ, pray in your heart this prayer. Lord Jesus, I do acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that I've been foolish and chased after mirages and resisted you. Lord, I want to be on the highway. I surrender to you as my master. I trust you as my ransom, the one who paid in full for my sin. I invite you to come and live in me and to cause the desert to blossom like a rose. I want you to change me and make me holy. And in faith right now, I thank you that you have come in. Amen.